Good morning, church. Good morning, Zach. This morning we will be reading from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. You can follow along with us on the screen. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be, since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative, Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. See, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Chris. Good morning, church. You ready? Luke chapter 1, open up there. We're uh, continuing in our series and, and again trying to make sure that we're doing something we don't usually do, which is walk through the text verse by verse. Um, and one of the reasons why is when you look at these stories that are found in the beginning of Luke and the beginning of Matthew, the only two gospels that, uh, that kind of create what we know about the Christmas season, Matthew and Luke are the ones that record it, um, it's usually only this time of year that we read it. And then so, so often we can just kind of get caught up in just grabbing ideas from it instead of sitting down and saying, no, what is really happening here? And Luke has definitely wanted to um, help his audience, his particular reader, Theophilus, um, to know that he should be certain of these things. So there's a lot of specificity in Luke's gospel um, that we really want to draw attention to this, this uh, Christmas season, this Advent season. I also couldn't help but think as Rachel was sharing um, the importance and the need to slow down. Um, if, I were to, if I were to say to you, what's the busiest time of year for you, what would you say? Usually Christmas. It, it just seems to be the opposite of what Rachel just said. Or maybe that's why you need to say it and why we need to keep saying it over and over and over again. Slow down, slow down, slow, slow down, slow down. We need to slow down. Um, because if we had an enemy and we have an enemy, what one thing can he do to cause us to just miss the point of Christmas. I mean, so often it's just, well, to deny it, sure. But what if we're not going to deny it? Oh, speed us through it. Pick up the pace so that we don't have time. Not, not, yeah, part, of, part of what we miss is enjoying it. But if Christmas isn't about us, but a gift to us, then to slow down, to anticipate, and to wait is to understand something is happening. And, and then to take our attitude, our spirit, um, everything about us, and to try to walk in step with 
what's going on. That's the, that's the idea behind all of this. And so I think it's so critical that we do exactly what Rachel said, that Advent really kind of gives us that opportunity to recognize there's something special that's happening. So let's treat it with the um, attention that it deserves. And so that's what we're, that's what we're doing. Um, there is a, a very interesting statement that we get from this text, and it comes from a few other ones as, as well. Um, it's the statement, the Lord be with you. Have you heard this, the Lord be with you? And how, how are you supposed to respond? If I were to say the Lord be with you, you say what? Okay, and with your spirit or, or also with you, may he also be with you. Um, that idea comes from this text, may the Lord be with you. And, and sometimes, like when we say things, like when Rachel was talking, I love to slow it down and just say, what is she saying that she doesn't even know she means or has got some insight there or whoever's saying it, right? Rachel's just more insightful than a lot of us. But anyway, it's one of those things where when we slow down and we, we, we think about what we've said or we think about what somebody else has said, we can find really important um, pieces that we've either skipped over completely or that, or that we need to like, linger longer on. Um, and so this statement, the Lord be with you and also with you or, and with your spirit, um, is taken from this text and it's an interesting phrase. Because the phrase in, in the Greek literally is um, the Lord with you. It doesn't say be, it doesn't say is. Our text is gonna explain it. Is, the Lord is with you, is what the angel is going to say, um, according to our translation. But it's literally, the Lord with you. The Lord be with you. And, and this is why it matters. How many of you heard somebody say, God bless America? And what they really mean is, isn't America awesome? Right? You know what I'm talking about? God bless America. What do, you, what, do you, what do you mean? Is, is what you mean by that statement? Man, like, we really need God because without him, we're in trouble. Is that what you meant? How many of you know people, when they say God bless America, they literally mean, isn't America awesome? Isn't that what they mean? That's, that's what even we mean, by the way. But slow it down. What are we really saying? Or, or, or maybe we're demanding it. God, you better bless America. Really? We're not saying that. And I just couldn't help but think, when we don't pay attention, the Lord be with you, also be with you. We, we don't slow it down. That The more that we just go, God bless America, and we mean, isn't America awesome, and we miss the request, God, messed up or not messed up, we need you to bless us. God, messed up or not messed up, we need to be able to recognize that anything good in us is from you. God, Will you bless the country that we are a part of for your glory, others' benefit, and our deepest joy? Like, if we're, if we're not going through that process, here's what I've found. To glibly say, God bless America, almost will demand that in a few short years, decades, we will be begging for God to bless America. That's what happens when you miss it. Lord be with you. Merry Christmas. That's not what the angel's doing. The angel comes and he says to Mary, and this is why I love this statement, one commentator wrote it like this, the phrase, the Lord be with you, or as our translation says, the Lord is with you, expresses a reality, not a wish. Isn't that amazing? It expresses a reality, not a wish. The angel doesn't come and, and look at Mary in her, in her, she's young, she's frail, 
Um, she, she comes of no significance. And, and the angel looks at her and says, God bless you. No. He comes down and he says, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who holds everything together, has looked upon you and sent me to tell you, Yahweh God is in fact with you. Wow. She was not prepared for that. Which really reminds us that this whole beginning in Luke's gospel is about people not being prepared and God saying, I know, that's why I've come to make an announcement to help prepare you. But your not being prepared does not cause me to not act. Can I say that again, church? Us not being prepared does not stop the Lord's plan or purposes in the world. Just doesn't. So as we're waiting, as we're anticipating, as we're doing our best to slow down, whatever that means, right? It's, it's a process. Okay, so it'll, you'll be a little more busy than you want to be. Well, here's the good news. As far as I know, unless the Lord comes back, which is what we want anyway, we should get another chance in about 365 days. But until then, may we learn to slow down. So really what we have is this opportunity for us to engage God by looking at how other people have engaged God, although in reality it's how others have been engaged by God, how he has come down and interrupted their lives. That Zechariah and Elizabeth had a plan and a purpose, and God comes along and goes, I've got something a little bit different. And here's this young woman, seemingly like, wow, this is so different than Elizabeth. Elizabeth is old, Elizabeth is married, Mary is young, Mary is not married. They have one common denominator. How are we getting a baby out of this? And the answer is, God has a plan. Look at how this begins. We're gonna look at the first three verses, verses 26 through 28. Here's how it begins. In the sixth month of what? Of the year, of of what? Of Elizabeth's pregnancy. That's what it begins with. Recognizing that you should be paying attention from last week to this week. In the sixth month, sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, which means this. It, it appear, Mary doesn't know. Mary is still like waiting for Christmas to come. She is still waiting for God to do something. And if there is anything that just describes us, it's people who are so aware of themselves which, one of the reasons why I've been a little bit easier on me and even easier on others, because not all self-awareness is selfishness. It can lead to that, but not all of it is. And one of the reasons why I can tend to be so self-aware and sometimes ish is because, honestly, every morning I wake up, I'm me. And all through the day, I'm me. And then when I go to bed at night, guess who I am? Sorry, me. Right? So that's just how it happens. Here is Mary, engaged to be married, wedding plans, all excited, and and I, I love this thought. Wonder when God's going to do something. I wonder when the Messiah is going to come. She's six months behind. But God's not. God's not six months behind. Have you ever wondered, when's God going to do something? 
You ever wondered that? Do you know how many times God said, really? You're six months behind. You're three years behind. You're five years behind. What, what it means for these encounters, angels entering in, word of God revealing, Holy Spirit empowering, is it just kind of catches us up with what God is doing. That's what the angel's doing. The angel is catching Mary up with what God is doing. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, who also appeared in our last narrative last week, was sent by God in Galilee, that's the northern area. So you have the, the nation of Israel divided up into three areas. This bottom part is Judea. It's got cities like Jerusalem. It's got a temple. It's got uh, where the Sadducees are, maybe some Pharisees too. It's where uh, King Herod would spend a lot of his time. And then you've got a, uh, like a province above it. Samaria, it's where Samaritans live. They're, they're like half Jewish, half not. And then above that, you've got Galilee. That's around the, the, the Sea of Galilee. It's, got, it's where Jesus is gonna do the majority of his ministry. And so you've got these three provinces. And then in Galilee, in the northern area, not Bethlehem, it's kind of an important Christmas town, not Jerusalem, not where the temple is, way up here in the north, there's this, this place called Nazareth. And that's what it says. It was sent by God to a city in Nazareth called, or in a city in Galilee called Nazareth. There's a statement that is actually used about Jesus in his ministry, and they say this: Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like it, we don't get it, right? Like how many of you are just scratching your head? Wow, Nazareth! Wow, for all I know, how much do you even know about Nazareth, right? Other than Jesus came from there, right? There's not a lot that we really know, so we have to try to figure out what. It, can anything good come out of Canada? Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Right? You're all shocked. Where's your preacher from? Canada? <laughs> Can anything good come out of Canada? Right? Um, South Dakota. Can anything good come out of, in first service, I had a lady like almost stand up and yell, hey! <coughs> Can anything good come out of Right? I don't want to get anybody all... Let's say I could mention a city in the state of Oklahoma that's not still water. That, can anything good come out of... Fill in the blank, right? Can any... Starts with a... Does anything good come out? Starts with an N, right? Does anything good come from that? That's what's happening here. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Which, which again, we're, we're going back and we're tracing the hand of God. He chose this old couple. Wow, I never would have seen that. Um, he, he chose Nazareth. I wouldn't have called that. I would have, I would have had him come from another place. Um, I can't help but think of this, like following the idea of good. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Jesus is approached later on in, in the Gospels, and he's asked this question. Hey, good teacher. And then a question's asked. Hey, good teacher. And Jesus says to this person, why do you call me Good. No one is good but God. I love kind of holding those two ideas together. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Theologically speaking, nothing but Jesus Christ came out of Nazareth that was good. That's what God does. Steps in, unexpected people, unexpected places, and fulfills his promise. Verse 27, to a virgin... Engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. Are you getting kind of a theme here? It's not be the only time you're going to hear this word virgin. Virgin, virgin, virgin. 
And the angel came to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. That's that, the Lord be with you. The Lord is with you. The Lord with you. Promising God's presence as a reality, not just a request. And, and here you have, in this repeated phrase, this idea of, of a virgin, um, and, and obviously for a lot of reasons, but when, when it, not, not only is it just true, okay? Not only is it just true, um, but it's really helpful in terms of us understanding how this even fits into the promise and then the fulfillment of this. If you go back and you look at Isaiah's, um, uh, Isaiah's prophecy, Isaiah prophesies that a virgin will, will, will become pregnant and will give birth and you will give him this name. Isaiah chapter 7, it describes it. The Hebrew word found in that text is, is actually a word that could also be translated young woman. A woman who is so young that most likely... It's not a guarantee, but most likely, because of her age, she's a virgin. That's kind of the, the, the Hebrew word for that. And I still remember writing a paper back in, in seminary about this when I was trying to compare what Isaiah was doing and what, what, what Matthew and what Luke are doing here, this idea of, of the promise of a virgin giving birth. Actually, there, it, it probably should be translated young woman because the original context in which this comes about is not a virgin giving birth, like Mary, but a young woman giving birth, and I remember using the phrase, it's one of my favorite phrases ever, that the Hebrew word there for young woman is pregnant with meaning. Thought all night about that one. But this word leaves no room. Parthenos in the Greek is not young woman. And most likely, now it's virgin. It's virgin. So if we are surprised... That Nazareth might be a place that God might do something great with. Virgin blows us out of the water. And that explains why in verse 29, she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Again, she's, she's trying to. This is so much of, of, of our Christian experience. Trying to catch up to with what God has already said and is doing. I mean, how many of us are just trying to, in a sense, right, like keep up with God, keep up with what he said, keep up with what he's doing, figuring it out step by step, and we're always, I mean, it'd be nice if we were just one step behind. It'd be nice if we just weren't being dragged behind, lovingly dragged behind. Mary is deeply troubled by this statement. I, I think what she's going through, and you, you see this in these encounters, is at the very, very beginning, there is like this, this, this idea of confusion. And then from that confusion, literally you begin to see like some, um, some excitement. And by the time the excitement's done, then it, it can also be then terrifying. Surprise, exhilarated, terrified. Because in the, in the beginning, I'm just surprised. I just I didn't expect to see an angel here. I didn't expect it to be Gabriel of all of the angels. can't believe Gabriel's the one that's here. I wonder what he, what he, what he wants, what, what, what he's, what he's going to tell me, and the Lord is with you. And then he be, things begin to unfold, and she's absolutely moving from surprise to exhilaration. Wow, this is great. I mean, I can't believe you're here. This is, this is awesome. Of all the people, you're here to talk to me. And then as it begins to unfold, she moves to terrifying, which is kind of a typical way in which you actually see when God encounters people because he encounters them to 
reveal the reality of his presence to prepare them for the participation in his purpose and plan in the world. And that is why so often it, what begins with surprise can soon be exhilarating and then can literally be terrifying. And I don't mean like ugh, ugly terrifying. I just mean in over my head. I just, I, I don't wonder if I can do this. I know I can't. Like I'm not just, I'm not just trying to be, you know, like just humble. I'm telling you, like I'm in over my head terrified at my involvement in what God desires for me. And that is why the angel then says to her, what, what kind of greeting is this? Because this greeting sounds a lot like, hey Noah, I've got something for you. Hey Abraham, I have something for you. Hey Moses, I've got something for you. Like that's what this sounds like to her, Right? So if you think Jeremiah is going to go, hey, why are you wanting to talk to me? I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm from a tiny little tribe. And this is the common response. Mary is the most out of place on that list. Terrified. And the angel says to her in verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Wow, isn't that a great statement? I grew up Protestant. I didn't know what I was protesting against, but I guess it was against the kind of the Catholic Church in a sense, right? That really, that's what that is, right? We were protesting against, and not that we don't like them, but we just, we disagree with them about some things. So that's where Protestantism comes from. Um, and, and so one of the things that I knew kind of growing up in my little brand of Protestantism um, was that if there's one thing that those on the other side of, of, of the fence uh, that they got wrong, it was Mary, like if there's one thing they get wrong, it's Mary, right? How many of you Protestants have heard something like this? I have. Um, praying to Mary, really? There's lots of things. And so when I was in seminary, I was really grateful to be um, under, the, un, under the, um, the, the, the help, the tutelage of, of, of Dr. Ray, who really kind of asked me to do some papers and to do some works, some work so that I could have a better understanding of what is known as the veneration of the Virgin Mary. And I, I, I remember learning a ton. And it, it didn't convince me um, that that whole idea was right. It didn't. But it sure did do this. I need to have a better appreciation for who she is and for the fact that God found favor with her. I, I love that the Bible always offers a way of looking at life that is always deeper and richer than any preacher or youth pastor or parent can make it be, right? Because the two easy ways to look at how God picks people is, it doesn't matter who they are. God, have you heard this? It doesn't matter who they are. God uses everybody. And then it starts rattling off people's names and David the adulterer and Moses the murderer, right? Have you heard this speech? And it doesn't matter who God picks. And I'm going, okay, I hear what you're saying. But when he's picking them in the Bible, he's usually describing them as being pretty righteous people. Like God doesn't say, oh yeah, I'm gonna pick David because he's terrible. What does he say? Because he's a man after my own heart. And God looks at Mary and God knows more than any of us how badly she needs him. She needs him. And yet, I love this. God smiles upon this woman. God sees, just like with Zechariah and Elizabeth, 
there, like a righteousness in her. So please do not dismiss like character and this way of living our life that is honorable to God. Like I get it and God can forgive and God can use. Yes, that is true. And yet, God didn't choose Mary because she was a train wreck. No, the text doesn't go there. And in God's divine prerogative, he found this amazing woman. In a sense, like wise beyond her years. I thought about this. I think one of the things Mary had was like a heart like her father, David. That's what she had. She may not have had the the prestige that David's lineage would provide, but she sure did have the humility. Verses 31 through 33. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. This lines up with what the angel is going to actually say to Joseph, which we get that in in Matthew's account. Matthew 1 says, the angel says to Joseph, you will give him the name Jesus, which means um, uh, because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus is Yeshua, meaning Yahweh saves. So these two accounts somewhat line up. What Gabriel says to Mary is what the angel says to Joseph. You will give him the name Jesus because he's got a specific purpose. He will rescue his people from their sins. Verse 32, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Now, I want to get into a little bit of the weeds here because this is important. And I I hope you don't have this mentality. Like there's a lot of people as they're trying to understand and they don't want to deal with the miraculous nature of virgins giving birth for whatever reason that they struggle with the miraculous. Then the next basic way to look at this is that God somehow looked down on Mary and Joseph and that cute little boy Jesus and wanted to adopt him. That wanted to somehow bless the world through him. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Joseph, for getting this off to a good start. I got it from here. That is not Luke's account. God did not adopt Yeshua, Jesus, to be his son before Mary had a son. God had a son. That's what the Bible teaches. From the very beginning, God had a son. Now, he didn't have the name Jesus from the very, very beginning, but Jesus was, in fact, from the very beginning. And so we do not believe, theologically, that what God did was look at this young man and say, I really think you're going to have a a divine insight. I think you're going to have a way of looking at the world that nobody else has. I'm going to take you and give you a greater level of understanding, a greater level of compassion, a greater level. I'm going to use you. He is not the son of God like you and I are sons and daughters of God. He's not. To believe so, I would argue rather strongly, is to take your salvation and to cast it into jeopardy. For God came upon Mary through the power of the Holy Spirit and she conceived a child and in that moment what we would refer to as, it sounds so technical, the second part of the Trinity, 
but Jesus took on flesh and emptied himself and joined us in humanity. And in that, there is the fulfillment. And, and, and I, I love this idea because the next, look at the next verse. He's gonna, be the, he's gonna follow along from the line of his, his father, David, and this kingdom is gonna last forever. It's, it's not only has it been six months and God has already got something in motion. It's like, no, this has always been in motion. It's always been in motion. Look at what Mary says. Look at verse 34. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I've not had sexual relations with a man? This is not... This is not what we saw last week. Well, I want a sign. Mary isn't asking for a sign. She just wants to know, what do I do now? How is this going to be? Right? Think about it. Last week, after he went home, he knew what to do. John the Baptist is going to come, and he's got a responsibility, right, to go home and to have sex with his wife so that John the Baptist might come into the world. Mary, you're going to have a child. Okay, and I'm about to get married. I'm here, you. How is this going to happen? Angel. No, 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 no. John says, the coming of Jesus had nothing to do with the will of a man, but it was, the, it, was the, it was the work of God. I love this statement. How can this be since I have, had not, I have not had sexual relations with a man? Um, one of the things that I love about this verse is it really, really reminds me um, that there are times in church, I get it, there are times in church when I, I like to say to you, hey, there's some stuff we gotta do. You ready to get to work? There's some stuff we gotta do. Let's, let's do it. Let's, well, let's work on these things. Let's, let's work harder at this and harder at this. What I love about this verse is sometimes there's scripture where the answer is just receive. Mary, how can this be? What do I gotta do? Answer, Nothing. Nothing. Sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do, and it's not spiritual laziness, is to receive. Honestly, what, 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 what could Mary do to bring this about? It's almost like what, what, what the Holy Spirit is doing through the, through the uh, angel Gabriel is he's reminding her when it comes to Jesus He always has to be first received. Don't do anything. Shh. Merry Christmas. Receive. Maybe that's how we could learn to wait. I've not had sexual relations with a man, verse 35, and the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the Holy One to be born is going to be called the Son of God in a radically different way. He'll also be called the Son of Man, which is a divine statement about himself. We'll talk about that at another time. It's not emphasizing his humanity. It also is a divine sign of who he is. will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this will be the sixth month for her who is called childless, Because I want to let you know, Mary, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. One of the things I like about this statement is it's found a couple of times in Scripture. I know we throw it around. Well, nothing's impossible with God. Nothing's impossible with God. But the problem when we just throw stuff around is that it loses, like, its specificity. These are the two times the phrase is used. One, virgins giving birth. That's pretty rare. 
because nothing is impossible with God. The incarnation is possible because nothing is impossible with God. Yeah, well, nothing is, you know. No, 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 stop. God putting on human flesh, God dwelling among us because nothing is impossible with God. And the second one, whole other sermon, rich people getting into heaven. They literally, virgins giving birth and rich people getting into heaven. How on earth? Verse 38, last verse. Mary's response. See, behold, recognize. This this is her submission here. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you have said. And the angel left. If last week we heard a, a message that was kind of almost uniquely and specifically oriented, it didn't have to be, but specifically oriented to fathers that they would turn their hearts towards children, that they would recognize their rights and responsibility and do that. And we, we heard that. Do you guys remember this? Heard this last week? And hopefully we all heard it, but especially fathers, men. Do you recognize the rights and responsibility that God has given to us? I, I just couldn't help but think there's something very amazing about this statement, which in some sense applies to all of us. But ladies, if you will give me permission to speak to you, I just couldn't help but think this young woman who had a bunch of hopes and plans and dreams, all set in motion by God. And then God begins to explain to her what's going to happen. How her body, I don't know if you know this, that's a big deal today. Have you heard about this? People's bodies being a big deal? And her body becomes a tool of God to bring the Savior of the world in. And everything, all of her plans, all of her what she thought was going to be, is radically altered. And what does she say? I'm here. It's like she almost knows that people who are going to follow her son are going to say things like this, that our bodies are not our own, but they were bought with a price. It's like she's gonna know that the Bible is actually going to teach that in marriage, a man's body is his wife's and a wife's body is her husband's. I just couldn't help but think, you know what I never hear from anybody today? In arguments and conversations about bodies, Can I just tell you what I virtually never hear? And I'm not talking about the world because I expect them to talk like that. You know what I hear us, and I mean me too, you know what I hear us not say? I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to my body as you have said. For my body is not my own. It is yours. Wow. I I would love for you to do the difficult work of just tracing that statement through and then to realize how many answers would just naturally come from that mindset. Just like last week, how many problems would be solved if fathers 
would do what God called them to do. And then, by the way, everybody should learn from that. How many problems, how, many, how much peace would we find if we were to approach life like Mary? I am your servant. And hear me, when she says, may it be done to me, what is she talking about? She takes that which is most dear to her. That's not the question. The question isn't, is our body dear to us? The question is, may God have a purpose for it? And I just couldn't help but think that as I get older and things may begin to happen to my body that I don't want, this isn't just about sexual um, uh, expression, and it's not just about gender identification. I, I think you could take this a lot of ways. I mean, how much of the frustration that we have is not recognizing that to the very core of who we are, like our bodies, are instruments of God. This is a good woman. I love that song that came out a few years ago. Mary, did you know that's your baby? You know this one? And it kind of plays off all these amazing things. And it, what I love about it is because I'm like, she didn't know. She couldn't know. Like, there's no way she could have known. That's how great God is. She never could have known what God was going to do. And by the way, I will say this too. I don't know if you know perfectly either. We can laugh at her, but I'll tell you, one of the things I've loved about these two texts is I am more like these people who are really shocked and surprised by God's plan and God's purpose. I'm a lot like them, wondering what God is gonna do. I'm a lot like them, trying to figure out God's plan and God's purpose. I need to be more like Mary. I really do. This life is not my own. My body's not my own. My retirement's not my own. None of these things are my own. May it be to me as you desire. God, I got a lot to learn. But maybe they all begin to find meaning at the cross. This incredible picture. Like Jesus gets it. Where did Jesus learn to say, not my will, but your will be done. I mean, I know he learned it from his father too. I think he learned it from his mother. Didn't he? I think Jesus heard, Mom, you said, before I even entered into this world, you said, may it be done to me. So Jesus learned from his mother. Mary didn't know, and neither do we, that on that night, Jesus would break this bread, would give it to his disciples and say, this is my body. Church, do you know? Kind of, not really. Fine, let's eat. This cup, my blood, given for you. Church, do you know? Kind of, not really. Okay, let's drink.
because sometimes the best and most important thing we can do is to just receive what God has given to us in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And may we respond with joy, with peace, and with song. Church, let's stand and worship well.